Kia ora and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name's Pip Adam and in this episode I speak with Nina Poles about her new, um, gosh, uh-oh, in trouble already. Uh, you know I love it when things defy genre and form and object. Anyway, um, Luminescent is Nina's new work. Um, it is cool. I think the best way to describe it is a collection of poetry, perhaps a collection, an exhibition, a, a gathering. Um, the publication is made up of five chapbooks which are collected in a beautiful cover. Um, it's uh, published by Serif Press and Helen Rickaby has um, knocked it out of the ballpark one more time with this magnificent thing. I'm going to start calling it a thing. Um, the words are beautiful, the object is beautiful, um, Nina is intelligent and um, creative and talented and all those wonderful things and the work just demonstrates that. So um, we had a chat about all sorts of things, we talked a little bit about why um, Luminescent doesn't look like a conventional collection of poetry, um, we had a bit of a chat about um, one of the most interesting things I think about this work is that it takes as its leaping off point um, often biography rather than autobiography but there's this interesting balance about writing about other people and writing about ourselves. I just I think it's quite singular in that way um, in New Zealand literature. Whoa, there we go, big claim but yeah it's magnificent. I just think you should buy a copy. The other thing I just wanted to mention is that this podcast is coming out just before Lit Crawl starts. Oh my goodness, Lit Crawl in Wellington our favourite time of the year. Okay, so Lit Crawl runs from officially from the 10th of November till the 12th of November um, in Wellington. That's 2016, in case you're listening from the future. It'll be on a different day in the future. Um, so yeah, there's events all over the show. Um, you can have a look at them at litcrawl.co.nz um, or even just probably search engine in your favourite search engine, Lit Crawl and Wellington. Um, so Nina is at an event. Nina is at the Mimicry Mosh Pit, um, which is at Caroline um, at 1 Manor Street. Um, she is in phase two. Phase two. And so am I. So we will not be seeing each other. But, um, well, maybe we will. Maybe I'll run away from mine. Anyway, um, so yeah, Nina's appearing with awesome people. She's appearing with Chris Tice. Who else is there? Oh, Vincent Conrad is reading. Eamon Mara. There's all sorts of amazing people reading at that event. It will be incredible. The other thing is that there is a um, pop-up. Um, we have, thanks to um, Te Oaha, we have um, a little, there's a crate. Very interesting small space where you can get a cup of coffee buy some um, books and also Better Off Red will be doing a couple of live podcasts from there. I'm talking to Kerry Ann Lee on Monday, very excited, and um, then another surprise visitor on Saturday. So yeah, come along, it'll be fun, let crawl it up, and yeah, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Thanks. Thanks. So, Nina, how are you today? I'm good. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, and me too. Yeah, I'm looking at my uh, my booklets and um, touching them. <laughs> <laughs> Can't stop looking at them. They're very nice when they're laid out like that, eh? They are. I still um, can't quite believe that they are a real thing. Yeah. And that they like form this um, one quite like hefty object they're very beautiful um yeah do you want to talk a little bit about that that would be an interesting place to start like um Mm. so you know the the way that they look is that we've got this beautiful sort of wraparound and then Mm. there are five booklets that fit inside this wraparound and um I can you talk a little bit about some of the decisions that were made around design and some of the decisions you know, why not put all five in a more yeah. conventional book, for instance? Yeah, so I feel like the structure of it, of um, the project the whole way through, has been, like, a huge part of it and part of how it started. So from the beginning, it was always, a f- I think, a four-part or five-part. Like, it had distinct sections, and that was partly me... I really like things in sections <laughs> and also in terms of um yeah so this was my thesis project when I did my MA in creative writing and when you're starting a big thing like that I think 
anytime I've had to do something like that, I've put it into sections. So that was kind of an automatic um, response. And then, although it was in those five sections, I did intend it to be a, a like a book, just mm-hmm. a book with five parts, say, because. Um, yeah, I, I think it was it was not long after I had my uh, my chat book published, which was really cool by um, Seraph Press. But I was in the phase of like wanting to like no more chat books and thinking that this should be my like my first real book. Um, thinking that I knew what real books were. <laughs> um, I'm doing finger quotes. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, now I'm like, ah, what is a real book? Do anyway. Um, yeah, so I th- I really thought there was gonna be like a a normal book and actually I had a comment from feedback from one of my examiners at the end of the year who said yeah this is really interesting I quite liked it but maybe it should be in lots of little chapbooks and I was like no that's just not that's not what I intended I completely disagreed and thought it was like it was being critical Um, which it was a little bit and that's fine it wasn't like a fully developed work at that stage but at some point um, I think having distance from it, so I left New Zealand, I went to China to study Chinese, but in those first few months of, um, I guess, 2016, I was thinking about it a lot, but not actually looking at the poems or anything, and I think um, I had actually submitted it to a publisher, but then after I submitted it, I had this weird feeling, I was like, uh, maybe I'm not ready for this to be my first real book. So actually, it was a little bit born out of um, insecurity about about it, probably. I think I had that automatic um, reaction once you finish this big project, thinking, or well, like firstly, not really able to write after finishing that huge thing, which I know is super normal. Um, and then thinking that it's like not really worthy of, you know, being published and all that. Um, but then that like insecurity actually turned into... I somehow I had these ideas maybe it could be a set of books or or maybe I think I thought first maybe it should be in separate chapbooks like Girls of the Drift Walls which itself is a really um beautiful object like um I think you were there when we mm. oh my gosh yeah we yeah. bound them that's so cool yeah was that the first time we met? I think it was the first time we was. met. <laughs> I'd, been, I'd been following your work for a while in a weird kind of like Whoa. loving what you were writing. And then, and then so yeah, cool. I think um, yeah. Helen gave me an email and said, we're buying yeah. a book tonight, come on up. And I was like, oh, Nina, oh, I'll definitely be there. And yeah, I think that was the first time we oh, met. So cool. It was I a lovely love evening. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a beautiful book. Like it was the, It's one of my favourite books, yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I think I... So I thought that chapbooks weren't going to be my thing anymore, but then I missed that amazingness of getting people together to mm. make an object, and also having Helen as editor and publisher and creator and everything is just lovely. And Helen became um, one of my really close friends after that. So um, I seen Helen. I think had already been reading Luminescent all the mm. way through, mm. and she was like quite interested in publishing it. But she also thought that it should just should be a cohesive a normal book Mm -hmm. and then I was like um what do you think about maybe doing a set of chat books and she was not not too keen I think (laughs) like practically speaking she was like oh that'd be really expensive and um might not work but eventually she came around and I, I, I saw that um Helen's books were the kind of books I thought that that this might fit along with so separately from the fact that um, Girls of the Drift, published by Helen, I think I I could see that working with her on this project would be just like ideal and that we'd be able to create something really interesting and really beautiful. Mm. Um, so it's it the end product is definitely a result of both um, me thinking that um, I think me being kind of bored of normal books <laughs> yeah partly thinking that I wasn't ready to create one and then also Helen realizing that um this could be a really interesting um really beautiful project and it was around this time that Anne Carson's float came out but I'm pretty sure I came up with the idea first <laughs> but I mean I I'm in awe of Anne Carson yeah. constantly and she is my hero so it's fine I don't mind if I've 
copycat, which I have. It's totally fine. Yeah. But, but then I think also when she did that, I was like, oh, of course she did that. I can do that. Mm. As, as with so many times when I read her work, it's like, oh, my God, she's done this thing. Now it's out there in the world. It's a thing. I can not copy. Well, yes, copy. Mm. But, but copy and turn into something different. Yeah. Um, yeah, so now it it's become something, I think, the way that I look at it now, feeling very like removed from the words themselves, having written them what feels like a really long time ago. Now I'm kind of more in awe of like the fact that it's in three books and how they feel mm. and like the texture of them and the color. Mm. And I kind of view it like that's so much a part of um, what the what the project is. Mm. Like it's so much more than just the words that are on the pages. Um, yeah. One of the interesting things about it is, um, and uh, like I think it's one of the things I really treasure about it, um, and I think we were just talking about it before, is the fact that the order is not um, dictated. You know, like yeah. I, I, I bought these and they were in an order when I bought them. Mm. I took them out, I played with them. I'm not sure I put them back in the same order. Mm. And then I read them and, you know, they really, they talk to each other in really interesting ways depending on mm. which two you're reading next door to each other. And whether, you know, and, and since I've had it, there have been occasions where I've picked up one and just read it and not read the others. And um, I just, yeah, I find that really interesting about it. Do you do you feel um, okay about people doing that with the books? I feel really okay with it. I find it very exciting. Because um, to me, but, but also I can't fully, like, understand what that must, that reading experience must mm. be like. Because for me, I, I, yeah, I wrote it in an order and, or at least I submitted it mm. when I finished it and submitted it as my master's thesis. It was in an order. And then when I like sent it to Helen, um, it was in an order. And that is the order, I think, that I sometimes put it back in the, <laughs> in the box. So to me, it does have one. But um, I think having had time since I wrote this and having... Um, like the publishing process is quite long and that's mm. a good thing sometimes it means that I am now like like I really like the idea that it could be read in any order maybe if we'd done it much quicker I'd be more yeah. reluctant and think no this is the first part this is the second part yeah. and it just allows for like there to be these um, five separate but hopefully together I think I was worried that it wouldn't be as coherent and actually initially there was like a beginning poem and an end poem that mm-hmm. sat outside of the five sections and obviously there isn't that anymore and I'm so happy because those were bad poems <laughs> and they're like they're not needed I think um it's very mysterious to me though that someone might have a different like because when I read a book of poetry it's like very powerful what poem is selected to be the final poem and yes. the yeah. first poem yeah but with this it could be any it's kind of scary and very cool, I think. <laughs> I think it would be scary as well, but kind of cool as yeah. well. I think, yeah, I can, I, I, I totally agree. I think that it's, it's a, it shows a kind of, um, it kind of, that's what I think is really nice about it, is that a lot of the work is experimental, and then to mm. put it in this form takes, it makes even the reading experimental. Like, not only yeah. is the right, you're, you're handing over quite a degree of trust, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, it makes me like it much more than... You go through phases with the work. After you've finished something, you hate it for ages. Then you're like, oh, it's pretty good for a little while. And then you're like, ah, it's okay. Um, I'm at a stage now where partly because of um, how, how much the reader, how much control the reader has. I think I like it even more. It's like less a part of me. And I can kind of be like, you, you get to have this um, really interesting reading experience that I don't have much control over, uh, which, which is really cool. Maybe it, I've, people have said also that they've read like one, one day, picked yep. up another one, which is really yep. cool as well, and turns them into like individual um, booklets, chapbooks, whatever you want to call them. And it does, I have had that hyperlinking experience as well, where <laughs> sort of there's been a colour in one and I've thought, oh, isn't mm. there that colour? And like I've sort of like picked out poems oh, and yeah, colors, I just yeah. read across. It's so great. Colour is a huge thing. Like yeah. um, uh, Helen told me an amazing story about the covers, you know, that she she was sort of experimenting and this is how yeah. they came out. And they just, I just can't imagine any other covers now. 
any other covers yeah. or colors or well, both, both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Both. we'll just yeah. yeah the whole thing me neither um yeah we went to look at paper but there was like no colors that existed that were quite right or mm-hmm. no combinations and then it yeah she I think we were still going to go with picking paper mm-hmm. cut, like going down to the art supply shop and looking at paper but then Helen just went off and and as always did something amazing and and like I think it was only a couple of days after um it would have been last summer. Yeah, she came and showed me these that she'd done with pastel. Like, the actual bits of paper with the pastel still rubbing off on them. And the texture is um, retained a little bit. Yeah. It was really pretty. But the colours themselves, we... Um, so it was someone in my class, in my workshop, who said very clearly that each section had a colour. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't seen that yet, but she had seen it. And I never forgot that. And these are... Uh, these are if not the exact colours, they're the same family yeah. of colours that she decided on, which is really cool. I can't Very stop looking at them. <laughs> I just, it's funny because it's been so nice this week prepping for this where I've just had them out and, mm. you know, been interacting <laughs> with them in a different way. Um, yeah. What we thought we might do is read a poem from each and then have a yeah. bit of a discussion about that. Where would you like to start? Oh. For the first time ever, you get to decide where to start. Um. So where would you like to start? I could start at the point where I always thought was the end point. Yeah, let's do that. Let's start at the end. Which I've put also at the end on the table, which is Catherine Mansfield. Yes. So this Um, book is called Sunflowers. Sunflowers, yeah. Do you want me to read the one that I bookmarked? Is that all right? Oh, okay. Catherine Mansfield Park. That sounds really good. Um, I won't say anything about it. (laughs) 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 Okay. Oh, this was published first in Starling. I love Starling. Me too. <laughs> Yay, Starling. Yay, Starling. Okay. Catherine Mansfield Park. Thorndon, Wellington. After we moved away, I often thought about the park. I thought of how I used to practice rolling sideways down the hill. I thought of grass stains on my elbows and dirt beneath my fingernails. I thought of sitting on the seesaw, licking the pink icing off hundreds and thousands biscuits. This must be the place where I first saw her name. It was printed in yellow letters on a signpost next to the slide. If I could, I would tell her that I like the park best at dusk in summer, looking up at the green hills looming above. I would ask her if she remembers this, the moon rising and shapes collapsing inside their own shadows, birds flinging themselves out of the bush calling out to each other in the dark. Awesome. Um, the, one of the things that ties these together is the idea of biography and poem. And yeah. um, one of the interesting things that ties it together is sort of that balance between autobiography and biography, like mm. sort of a way of finding ourselves through other people's lives. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um... I haven't been writing poetry for that long and I first started writing poetry it was um, in a class taught here at Vic um, by Anna Jackson and um, I don't remember we had to uh, it was a modern poetry course and one of the kind of optional things was to do a poetry portfolio um, and I thought I would give it a try and um, so a lot of those poems that came out of that class ended up in Girls of the Drift, mm. which are not at all about me. They're like all about uh, mostly, I think, yeah, characters from Catherine Mansfield's stories, actually. So I am a little bit obsessed with Catherine Mansfield, but <laughs> um, yeah. So I started being um, interested in writing poetry through writing about other people and like recreating. Imagining, recreating um, other people's lives and being in a space very far from my own kind of reality. Although not, uh, probably not as far as I thought, but at that time felt like this is not about me. Um, and then I guess maybe like a natural progression from that is to kind of suddenly be unable to st- stop writing about yourself after a period of um, not writing about yourself at all. So initially, I think my plan for this project was 
for it to be a much yeah more biographical not so much about me or a version of me but I found that the way in was actually through me and through my interest in the the five kind of figures in Luminescent um so particularly with Catherine Mansfield I think my my main connection to her it wasn't until I was maybe 18, 19 that I actually read, properly read any of her work. And so the connection was geographical because I grew up, um, as the poem says, I um, partly grew up in Thorndon, which is where she was born and grew up um, for a part of her childhood. So I think um, in writing about her, I found that I kept going, like visiting these places that her childhood places, which are also my childhood places, and getting a bit obsessive about what looked the same, what didn't look the same, what what am I imagining that she might have seen um, or felt. And so, yeah, all I can say about the biography thing is that I found I it was more interesting and I was more kind of challenging and experimental to, to keep pushing up against like history and biography with imagining things and like um yeah pushing up against historical facts with um feelings <laughs> mm. lots of feelings and uh, things that obviously wouldn't find in a prose biography mm-hmm. um I think at the time I was very interested in um I hadn't I haven't read much biography or anything but I did come across um some examples of poetry and biography like um hmm. Anne Carson obviously I think with her um, glass essay which mm, yeah. is like super influential on me and I think that opened up possibilities um possibilities of new ways of writing about history and not being thrown by the fact that um, I can't research all of this I can't give like an objective truth I can't you know I can't tell the full story I can only imagine and talk about um my connection to these um figures who are just kind of fascinated me Mm. yeah Mm. did you have the five figures before you started writing Um, not all I had I had a few of them I did but essentially I did because I had this idea that that there would be yeah, that there would be five. Mm. There were some gaps to be filled, but yeah. Mm. Mm. I'm looking at who you've got next in your pile. Do you want to read the next one oh, in the sure. pile? Yeah, should we do, do it that way? <laughs> we could do it that way. It yeah, let's like do it that way. Let's do it that way. Because then, then it's, yeah. <laughs> so this one is um, Autobiography of a Ghost, which is the grey cover, which I don't look at enough. It's really, it's such, it's it's really pretty. I was falling into it today. I was like, oh, great. Great. You know, like, I was just like, I see it for a new time. Now, um, what poem do you want to read from there? Um, 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 I can read your favourite one. Oh. If you want. I've got so many favourites in here. I do like that one. If you could read that one, I do like that one, if that's okay. Yeah. Or if you prefer another one. No, I like, I I even like the very short one at the start. Mm -hmm. My favourite. But yeah, what do you want to read? I'll read the short one at the start and then... Okay, that sounds good. (laughs) We get a real feel for it. Okay. Um, Ghost. Verb. To wait for something without breathing. The ghost in love. There is nothing in the story about how she loved him like a room full of flowers placed there in the early morning for someone to walk in and think they're still dreaming. There is nothing in the story about how she missed him like a cathedral with no one inside it to assemble its echoes. There is nothing in the story about how all her breath rushed from her body when her foot missed a step. Nothing about how the feeling of falling may have felt just like the first time he was so close. She could see sweat droplets slipping from his temple to his jaw, unleashing a storm somewhere inside her. 
the sort you find in gothic novels in which trees get struck by lightning. Nothing about the moment when the air that held her skin apart from his collapsed and she was weightless. Oh my gosh, it's so um, it's so interesting um to me to go from sunflowers to this one because oh, there's why? slight. Well, there's a degree of difference and kind of... I, I used the word celebrity when I emailed you, but I don't know oh, if that's yeah. the right word, but there are some people that we're familiar with, like Catherine Mansfield, mm. and then in this story, it's almost a completely imagined person, yeah. isn't it? You know, like yeah. it's... Um, you know, I think I've got the story right. Like, there was a rumour at your sc- the school you went mm-hmm. to that there was a ghost at your school, mm-hmm. and that's sort of the jumping-off place for this for this yeah. section. Um, and I just wonder, um, you know, and when you look at all of them, there's, you know, because Catherine Mansfield's like this, you know, mm. behemoth, you know, like just mm-hmm. this huge figure. And then to move to a slightly quieter figure, a figure that's more mysterious. Mm. Is there anything you want to say about that? Like, is that, like, does it feel different writing about them or, yeah? Totally. I think, I think I didn't want to just do really famous kind of mythical figures um I mean partly because I think that's been done and it's harder I mean there's yeah it's sort of like how can anyone write more about Catherine Mansfield is kind of so much has been written about her but that's another reason why there's um the biography had to be had to be combined with um like autobiographical details mm-hmm. Um, to give an aspect of um, yeah uniqueness and newness but um, yeah I think I really like balance and so if this gonna be if I'm gonna write about um, quite a well-known person then I think I wanted to introduce well I wanted to we'll talk about them later but um, Phyllis Porter mm. and um, Betty Gard who, well, she's kind of well-known, but many people won't have heard of her. And Phyllis Porter is obviously not famous at all. And then Bre- Beatrice Tinsley, the scientist, maybe a little bit. And then one to have one kind of totally imagined um, figure, I think. I really like that idea. I think I was, towards the end of my MA year, I was getting a lot braver and more interested in not following any rules particularly and... Um, this is probably part of that mm. to to just kind of ignore that it would be more logical maybe to pick someone like semi famous just as interesting I'm sure um, but but yeah I think there was a point where I, where I wanted to let go of the researchy aspects and just like go for it <laughs> um, yeah but but then this is also rooted in um, stories that I've heard mm. from other people and, and so it is a figure that, that exists in a kind of uh, I guess collective consciousness that has passed through many generations of um, um, students who went to this and teachers who have been at that school so there is still that um, kind of um, looming um, aspect of it but I really like that there's that this ghost who may or may not be based on a real figure, I'm not sure, um, sits alongside then someone as famous mm. as Catherine Mansfield and then the other figures who, yeah, it's, I like that about it. Me too. Like I think one of the things that I really, really comes to light when I read this one is the fact that um, through this sort of coming to poetry through biography, not mm. only are you writing away from yourself but you're kind of writing away from the singular you know, like, and yeah. here there's um, sort of Facebook conversations with students that you knew, and, and you yeah. know, like, when you look at the other ones, you're, you know, you're, you're researching, so you're looking at a body of knowledge rather yeah. than looking at just, you know, your imaginative impulse, which I think is incredibly pleasing, like, as a oh, reader, cool. incredibly pleasing. And I was just thinking with um, Sunflowers, there's a mm. poem in there which is um, about that very famous portrait of Catherine Mansfield. Yeah. And, like, I... Like I think that you've completely reimagined it. Like it just, oh, it just cool. makes it. It really excites me that we can, you mm. know. Like I can't. I do feel like you reimagine someone who I thought I knew everything about, which <laughs> I think is really successful. Mm. Um, where shall we go next? 
Should we? Oh, I don't know. Wales. Should we go to Wales? Oh, Waleful. <laughs> the best title ever, my God. Oh, thanks. Oh, I, yeah, oh. I, I, I wanted to name the whole thing this. Um, yeah. Probably, maybe I should have. It's fine. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's I think fine. it's nice that the title sits outside any of these. Yeah. I think that's really nice because, again, it doesn't privilege any of them. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about the person this is based on? Because I, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I found no. I, this was I'm guilty of kind of going and looking for a subject rather than mm-hmm. letting a subject find me, as maybe should be the more kind of the natural <laughs> the natural way of doing things. Um, because I uh, I'm obsessed with whales yes. and definitely had had and continue to have a kind of romantic and mythical. Um, idea of um, imagining our whaling past. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I was quite young, I with my parents went to Kaikoura and found that very you know um, interesting. And but I studied so little New Zealand history at school um, that I've never felt connected, felt that connected. I think to the um, New Zealand's past. So maybe I was kind of wanting to, yeah, learn more, but also write poems about whales. And, but then also have a chance to find out about um, someone who may have lived during that time. Mm. And this one I'm, is probably the most, uh, maybe not the most, but I would say it's, it goes very far into imagining rather than, like you said, using primary texts or using stuff that has been written about this person, Betty Gard, who I've learned, have since learned, is actually quite famous. And people who um, know a lot about New Zealand history know a lot about her. Um, She was, I think, yeah, she was the first Pākehā woman to settle in the South Island. She was very young, she was 15. And her husband, Jackie Gard, set up the first shore whaling station in the Marlborough Sounds in the 1820s, which is very early. But what she's most famous for is that she was um, taken captive after a shipwreck um, by um, Māori tribes at that time. I can't, I'm not sure how old she was. And I think a, a whole novel has been written about that part of her life, which uh, I think when I found that out, I thought, OK, maybe I shouldn't you know, include her and choose someone else. But then I kept with it um, because I think I was a bit obsessed with the idea of a 15-year-old mm, mm. arriving in this um, like scary, strange place. Uh, yeah, I found it very... Um, yeah, just, just got a bit obsessed with the idea of a really young teenager mm. arriving in this place pretty much alone. Mm. Um, yeah, and I don't claim to have done very extensive research at all and um a really cool thing about poetry is that I mean no one like these are not biographies no one can tell, <laughs> like dispute the facts because there are there are no facts well there are facts but but I've played with them and and they can be like interpreted mm. by the reader in any way it's an so, interesting yeah. thing isn't it like that idea that I liked what you said about some you know when we write about ourselves we're writing about a version of ourselves yeah. and like this is what this feels like as well especially yeah. this one is yeah, that yeah, it yeah. feels like a version of her which I think is really interesting the mm. first time I ever saw you read you were reading about whales really and I was I was studying <laughs> whales I was like were going you? I was doing mad crazy whale study oh, because I, I was writing that silly book and like I <laughs> I think I even came up to you and said oh I didn't know I really liked your poem. <laughs> so it was really good. It was at, I think it was at a reading after you finished Rebecca Priestley's um, oh. the science writing paper. Yeah, yeah. And it was mm. just it was just the most beautiful piece about, of writing. Um, it, it yeah. was, I think it was about was um, it a food orcas. court reading? No, I think it was just up at university. Okay. But I probably saw you at a food court reading as well. Mm. Now, you're going to read us a poem from here. Are you going to read us Beacon? Yeah. Uh, I like Beacon <laughs> a lot. Yeah, do yeah. that. Okay, I will. Yeah, this one... I think is um yeah it's among the most kind of taking imaginative liberties with um with what this person's life might have been like um yeah beacon she keeps rooms lit up sets lamps down on windowsills each night 
Her house in this cove is the brightest in the sounds. Ships can spot it even in a fog, when the glow spilling out from the windows seeps into the vapour. Wide gold beams streaming low over the coast. Her husband took all the curtains down for fear of fire, but mainly so she could have her repository of sunlight. She told him she liked best waking up as soon as light hits the room, night setting itself alight again. Oh, wow. I so love that poem. I love the idea of sort of this impromptu lighthouse kind of feeling, you know, like yeah. I really like this idea that it, and I think the title works so well with it as well. Um, this one includes some erasure poetry, doesn't it? Uh, is that right? Or am no, I thinking of I'm thinking no, of your chapbook, which is also about whales. whales. It's got whales. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm thinking I, I've got I'm confusing all your books all at once. Um, <laughs> you do have an amazing um zine which has got some poems about whales together. Yeah, and just, that's got some maybe one or two from this. Yeah. Um, can mm. you talk a little bit about what's attractive about zines? Because yeah. like, I've I mean you really have produced you know some beautiful work over the time and and it seems like you've produced that haven't you like you have yeah. you bought in designers or no this is no it's all you no. it's all me <laughs> it's all me definitely all me um what, what's attractive about that like i think that's what's attractive <laughs> like, like you can do what you want mm, yeah. no one will tell you if you don't ask anyone is this bad no one will tell you <laughs> i mean like if you don't give it to anyone to read before you go and sell it to people which i don't i, I think yeah but that's because i've become more more confident and more um yeah trusting of my own work and slightly reckless like i don't mm. really care so much about what other people think i think that's a i mean specifically about my writing i think that's from like uh becoming yeah doing the MA and becoming like more confident in in what I do but um yeah I just love I love the immediacy of it mm, you could yeah like if you have time which I don't always of course but but you could come up with an idea and a concept and you could I mean design something but because like a zine can be anything it can be um, as unfinished as you like, as imperfect, or as perfect and as beautiful as you like. So I think I loved, I first started making them maybe in October of the MA year. So after like focusing on this long project and you get really stuck into it and it's this big thing <laughs> surrounding you and like suffocating you sometimes. Um, so to, I, I just loved the idea of getting a little bit outside of it, but not that far because the first sign I made was a version of this mm. autobiography of a ghost. It was it had different some different poems, obviously, but it was essentially what is now the yeah. published version, but a self-published, printed here at the IML <laughs> secretly. Um, <laughs> um, it's okay, it was poetry. So, <laughs> um, I think I did that after like a, a particularly maybe frustrating workshop yeah and it was very liberating to go and suddenly create something that previously did not exist in the world I mean I like put together a, a document of some poems and then printed it and then suddenly I was holding a little book of something that I just made which just the f realizing that that is something that you can create yourself that, that doesn't need to go through anyone else's approval. Um, it's really great. And it's not, it means that the stuff you put out there is like gonna be weird and um, maybe challenging and imperfect and messy, but like that's amazing, I think. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I started making more. Yeah, I made that one about whales. It's called um, Underwater Dreams. I just loved that I could decide why isn't like why isn't I asked myself why isn't there a little book of poems about whales? Oh, why don't I make one? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's so great. And and allowing myself to do that has then meant that since I've like continued, I made a little one about my favorite noodles. So. Yeah, and it's so yeah, it's given me loads of um, 
confidence to do weirder and messier things, um, which is really, yeah, it's really amazing because I, and no one gave me, oh, I definitely got the idea because Wellington's got an amazing, um, really active, um, like underground publishing community, mm. um, and like spoken word poetry is part of it. And there's the Zinefest, which is coming up in November. So there are people doing, making like amazing comics and, um, yeah, design photography signs and like all just every kind you can imagine. And I met some people from that. And then I kind of realized that we can do all these things on our own, but that's not to say I'm like anti mainstream publishing. Um, I just, I love that both can coexist, especially somewhere as, um, creative and small as Wellington and like friendly, I guess, to a degree. It means that many of these people are existing in both spaces, like me, I guess. Yeah, it's um, it's just really exciting. And the fact that you can sell, or not sell, give away, whatever, or trade something that you've made by yourself and, like, um, something tangible to create... I think that's the thing, making something tangible out of your art, which so often feels this thing that you do that other people think is kind of crazy and, like, don't... Especially if you've just started out and you're kind of friend, your friends and family who are not um, into writing or books, or whatever. And that's fine. This, you know, we all have. Yeah. Lots of other things to do as well. <laughs> yeah, there are, weirdly enough. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's really cool to, to then suddenly have something that, that you have created um, all by, by yourself or with your friends. That's also really cool. I just, oh, the people who do it are so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm really that's happy I found it. I think that's the thing that I really, um, like, my little thing is that wherever I go in the world, there's usually a zine shop, and I always yeah. try and bring one from everywhere in the world, and, like, yeah. it really does seem to build community in this strange way. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's really it's really hard not to draw lines between sort of like digital and you know yeah. like but I think that it really feels like this there's this real I know because I went um when we were doing Porero People's Library I mm. went to one of the zine fests and we always go like we mm. always go but I'm not always working there and mm. I just remember thinking and the trading that goes on and the yeah. talking and someone sort of saying oh you did this and how'd you do that and I just I just feel it feels I get very excited about making I think that's the oh, thing that's you know, so like, fun because you don't get to like cut stuff up and staple things as an adult yeah. unless you kind of do crafting <laughs> and, and it's a form of crafting it's so much fun gluing and collage and yeah. stuff glitter I put glitter on the yes cover. Really we, um, we sometimes take yours out to the um we, we haven't taken this one out because we've yeah. been teaching but we often take them out to Arahata and like oh there's there's God. a lot of excitement over the fact because we often take a lot of zines out there you know yeah. there's a lot of excitement around the fact that a book can look like this as well you know yeah. That, that yeah. you know that this is something we can do I think I think it's really yeah. I don't know and there is you know like I've got a little section on my bookshelf now with all my you know I've got something mm. in the it's just fantastic so cool I I love that it's um making these things more kind of, um, I hate to use the word, but like legitimate and you know, yeah. worthy of um, being, con- I mean, lots, of, lots has been said about like journals and notebooks as being legitimate, like real literature. I guess it, it kind of falls into that category of um, like things that have created quite quickly and mm. um, all on your own and Yes, and it feels that's the thing I really enjoy about it is like even this word chat book, you know, it comes from Victorian mm. literature. It comes mm. from you know, and when I think about some of the amazing word. things that we have now that are, um, you know, were first created as self-published pamphlets and stuff like that. I think, you know, like I, these new these new forms of books appearing is really interesting, and I still don't fully like what's the difference between a pamphlet and a chat book. I'm yeah. not entirely sure, but. I mean, it doesn't matter. I love it. I love, <laughs> I love it. it. Yeah. Love it. Hey, um, Beacon had some stuff about fire in it, and can we? <laughs> did. Should we? Should we look at Phyllis? Yeah. Oh, Phyllis. I oh, think. Oh, Phyllis. Yeah. <laughs> My She's... goodness, this. I mean, this. What? This pink. This pink, pink is fantastic. Flames, yeah. Pink flames. Um, you. There is a poem in there about mm-hmm. how you stumbled across the story. Yeah. Is that, I don't, you don't need to say whether it's true, but do you want to just pricey <laughs> yeah. that poem? Like, or it do is you... true, actually. My goodness, dear. I know, not often you get to say that what, <laughs> is true. what you put in the poem is true, but 
yeah, I... Oh, is it all true? Okay, the part... <laughs> the part, definitely... You're I not on trial. It doesn't... <laughs> definitely being... Yeah, I was at the opera house during a break, during an intermission, and going to get an ice cream, and I um, have been there quite a few times, but I had never noticed before that behind a door on the the upstairs level, like where you queue up to go to the toilet, um, behind a door there was this framed um, little newspaper article, like, and the frame, I think if I'm remembering correctly, the frame was really big, and the article, like, was this tiny <laughs> cutout, it was really, and it really, it makes you, but it makes you like, yeah, you're like, that? what is that? Um, and, yeah, and it's, it was an article... It was a it was a news article from nineteen twenty three, and it said, which is what the poem says, um, pantomime tragedy succumbs to injuries. Miss Porter dies in hospital, Wellington this day, May seven, nineteen twenty three. Um, and yeah, I was, I don't think I had time to read the little thing in full, but I was very struck by it and later looked it up on papers past. Oh, great which has been huge for this project. Like I use so much um, so much stuff from that resource. It's amazing. Um, yeah, so, and I went back not long after, maybe a couple of weeks after finding that, to look at it again, you know. And I was asking an usher about it, and she didn't know anything about it. And so I asked another usher, and she said the whole space had been repainted, recently and the things that had been up on the wall were all taken down and she wasn't sure where it had gone it's kind of one of those weird things like did that really happen yeah i mean i know it did but like it was like oh it's kind of weird how she's disappeared now from the space um yeah so i know it i know it did happen but but i often have those moments where you go back to a place and um it looks different or feels different or you ask someone and they have a different memory of of what you remember yeah it's mm. man it's just such an amazing story so um she oh, was yeah, on stage yeah she was on stage dancing one of the lights flared yeah she so i read several accounts and it's very um it's awful and and shocking and very striking because they all describe her costume which had i think tassels i picture kind of yeah, silvery tassels, maybe, um, I picture kind of plasticky, but it maybe wouldn't have been, but I think she was doing a turn or a spin, and, um, and yeah, the, there were, I think it was a fuse caught on her tassels of her dress or something, and, um, yeah, she was rushed to hospital, but unfortunately died in hospital, um, and she was actually, um, born in Australia but came over to New Zealand I didn't find any record of when she came but I think um, there were in an obituary in an Australian newspaper said that she because her parents later got compensation for this mm. from the company and so quite a lot was written about that court case um, I think she came to New Zealand when she was um, I don't know, 14 or 15 wow. so kind another of, young one yeah and um yeah, and her parents were in Australia, and she had, from a really young age, had been part of this peep show um, company. Um, yeah, so I think when I found that, and when I found out about her, she became a huge, suddenly like a huge figure in my mind, and I couldn't stop thinking about her. Um, and also, I became quite obsessed about how there was very little information, mm. the opposite of um, Catherine Mansfield or um, Beatrice Tinsley or even Betty Gard there's quite a bit written about her although not not by her obviously um, that remains but then yeah she's kind of a, a blank mm. um, which makes for a very interesting subject <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm conscious of I was conscious of kind of writing uh, too much filling this very shocking tragedy that happened with like so much of my own kind of um my own imaginings but I hope that I've done it 
like uh, respectfully and yeah I think you, I, I really think you have like because I know the first time I heard you read this I instantly got obsessed you know you read yeah. something from here and all of a sudden I couldn't see anything else when I walked past that place and all that sort yeah, of thing and then I can't even. when I read it I just feel like you've got that balance just right like it could have been a real sensational ah you know yeah. but I think you've hit it really right you were going to read something which one oh, are, you, yeah. are you going to read um, are you going to read about my favorite <laughs> Everything's my favorite. Um, well, I don't. I could read that one. Or yeah, could, yeah. Come on. Okay. I love that one. I love that one so um, much. Yeah. So this poem is called "Disputed Facts Regarding the Life and Death of Anna Pavlova," and um, I guess this is introducing an, another separate figure into the mix, the Russian, very famous Russian ballet dancer Anna Pavlova, um, who. I have also been a little bit obsessed with because I've been, I think since I was very little, quite obsessed with the ballet Swan Lake. It's just been one of those things from childhood that has like stuck in my brain and in a kind of, in a, it's quite a creepy, quite a scary um, story and mm. production. So I think that's why those things that stick with you. And so she visited New Zealand in 1926 um, and with so that's three years after Phyllis Porter died. And I imagine that if Phyllis had not died, she probably would have gone along to see Anna Pavlova. Maybe, maybe not, but I like to imagine it. Anyway, okay, enough. <laughs> <laughs> Disputed facts regarding the life and death of Anna Pavlova. While living in London, she commissioned a series of studio portraits of herself with Jack pet swan. While performing at the Grand Opera House in Wellington, New Zealand in 1926, she saw a light bulb flicker and burst as she danced the swan's slow death, throwing her off balance for half a breath. But no one noticed and, upon inspection, all the stage lights remained intact, although a man in the gallery recalled hearing a young woman cry out in amazement. While dying of pleurisy in her hotel room in The Hague, she turned to her maid Marguerite and said, prepare my swan costume. When her next show went on as scheduled, there was a spotlight on an empty stage, a clean gold disc with no one inside it. I really, I was really interested in this poem when you talked mm. about, um, like when you talked about reading it because what I find so interesting is this idea, there's so many ways that we try to get to the people that are in here. And mm -hmm. I really liked the idea that one of the ways we do it is through other people, you know what I mean? Like through, mm -hmm. by this introduction of another dancer and another another figure into, mm. the, into this. And yet it fits so perfectly with the rest of it. Also, we get at them, I think, through physical space. Mm. And the opera house, I just remembered, yeah, it was the opera house that Anna Pavlova danced at. So the same stage, they danced on the same stage, which is quite kind of bleh. yeah, <laughs> ah. goosebumpy. Yeah, so and and that that's a big that's a big part of what that's what connected me to Phyllis by being in that space and encountering um, encountering the thing on the wall. And I've been to lots of things at that um, venue. Um, so that yeah, it's it's it's. Mm. I just I I really I really I, again, what I think is so successful in here um, is because um, there's a poem in here that talks about the alternate endings of Swan Lake. How there are yeah. there are different endings. Oh, there it is right here. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Um, <laughs> which ending would you have liked best? Um, like yeah. and I think again what you've done is taken this thing that feels like it's been wrung dry culturally like it feels like yeah. there is not another thing left to say about Swan Lake but you've yeah. reimagined it through this very clever observation and this way of looking at it in a different way and because mm -hmm. that sits on top of Phyllis's story mm -hmm. and and you know then you put Anna Pavlova on top of mm -hmm. that and then you know you talk about you know the you know you talk about Black Swan in there <laughs> and and like I just think I don't know I just find it so clever this one in particular feels like they all feel like this, but this one in particular always feels to me like 
it's like a TARDIS. Like, I'm always surprised. <laughs> like, when I open it up, I'm like, there's so mm. much in here, but it's such a slim volume. That's it's cool. I think I, yeah, I like this one particularly as well. I think this is the one, yeah, Her and the Flames has undergone the most change. I think some of the poems were the first written and then, like, the, the structure was changed, the, the title was changed many times. It's kind of, yeah, and I think it's benefited from that, from, from being, like, it might be the most different to the others. Um, and maybe the hardest... Maybe the hardest to write. I'm not yeah, sure. I think I think that's fair. You know, like I think, I think that, and again, you know, the way that this woman speaks to um, the woman in whale fall, and mm. the way this kind of speaks to the ghost, and I just think it's so clever, Nina. You're just <laughs> clever. Sorry, that I, that's very boring <laughs> as an interview subject. Just to say that you're clever, <laughs> um, but you know, like I just think it it works so well because there's just all these, you know, like it feels so concise. We've left um, the glowing space between stars yeah. till the last, which is an interesting thought. Like, mm. I love this one. I just love them all. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just, I'll just say I love it. Mm. Um, now, this, talk, tell me a little bit about this. How did this come about? Like, how did you mm. find the subject for this? Um, I, this was a combination, I think, of knowing that there was there were many people of um in New Zealand history that I know nothing about I totally can't remember how I <laughs> how I came across her um but I knew that I wanted to write about science a little bit more which I think draws from Whalefall which was written first and like writing a lot about whales and there's a poem in there that is a slightly more like science-y mm, yeah. whale fall um, so I liked the challenge of taking on something more complex more complicated and also um, I must have kind of found her Wikipedia page or something and then just been so annoyed that I didn't know who she was sooner um and yeah, quite a lot of people do know who she is, but she, um, like I never really, I didn't learn about her in school or anything. And she, sadly, she died when she was quite young as well. But she, she was a cosmologist, um, who studied galaxy evolution and um, life cycles of stars and things, which I'm also quite obsessed with. Not in like a intellectual way at all, just like in a whoa kind of way <laughs> yeah um yeah and she most of her career took place in the united states in um texas and she got all kinds of awards and published some amazing papers um and then she died in 19 no 1981 from cancer sadly a play has been written about her and there's a really good biography called bright star um which was the main um text that I used mm. with this so yeah it's a different thing again going from some figures that not much is known about other than Catherine Mansfield lots is known about her to a kind of yeah one big biography has been written about her but but I still liked like some of the poems here do get quite imaginative mm. Uh, which is yeah that's my tendency <laughs> and I think what I think is really great in here as well like the um like Beatrix Tinsley that some of the science she was dealing with is quite complex science and yeah you know you often take um I think I think you know like I don't I don't know how to say this without sounding like it's not a compliment. Um, but, like, <laughs> it's unpoetic. Some of it is unpoetic. Yeah. You know, like, this idea of stars, I mean, that's poetic. Yeah. But, you know, so some of the stuff you've got in here is real hard. You well, know, she like was, yeah, yeah, she was a mathematician. Exactly. So it's algebra. Yeah. And I don't know anything about any of that. <laughs> so I am totally making, like, poeticizing it and, like, romanticizing it. But, um, 
But it's done in this beautiful way where it doesn't seem to lose sight of its mathematical footings. You know what I mean? Like it, and I think that's what I think so great. And even the color of it looks a little bit different with the other. You know, like it just feels a little bit more matter of fact or something. And I just think it just works so well. Mm. What poem are you going to read to us from this one? Um, (laughs) This little I don't know in a candy store. Oh, another poem. I like the um, poem. Maybe. So the one that I've bookmarked is like I think one of the weirdest poems I've ever written. Oh, let's read a weird poem. <laughs> oh yeah, that well, one. That one is weird. It's really weird. You wrote a weird poem. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I'm not gonna explain. I th- it's too no. difficult to keep it weird. <laughs> keep it weird. Okay. Yeah. Only that it yeah it comes towards the end of this um this booklet about Beatrice Tinsley. Okay. Astonishing objects. I don't know if I should make a metaphor out of everything that astonishes me. For instance, the fact that on board the Columbia Space Shuttle that burnt up on February 1st, 2003, killing everyone inside, there was a box containing eight spiders spinning huge webs in zero gravity that must have glimmered faintly like under the lab's fluorescent lights, like the remnants of a constellation composed entirely of dying stars. Or the fact that on January 27, one of the crew observed a new airglow phenomenon that had never been recorded before. A pale crimson light in the night sky, caused by electric currents shooting up from lightning clouds. What are we supposed to do knowing that all this happened? knowing that one day the universe might cease expanding, or that it might not. I have collected up so many astonishing objects that I have nowhere to put them down. I love this poem so much. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I, think I've read it before. It's oh, You read it so beautifully. I just oh, really nice. love it. I just really... Oh, I don't know. And like, again, you know, this way of getting at someone through something that's slightly at tangent to them, I think is just mm. so successful in here. It's so successful. Cool. I, yeah, I think I remember just being quite, I wrote this at a point of feeling very um, overwhelmed with all the facts that I was collecting. And I just generally often feel this way, <laughs> like, like, um, I think I'm always collecting bits and pieces, things that I observe, want to write about or may never write about, and they just become like, wow, there's so many um, beautiful things and or just astonishing things, not necessarily beautiful. And, um, yeah. Because hmm. they do. I, I was thinking the same thing just today, actually, and I think it was this poem that started me thinking about it, mm. is that, like, you know, I'm always in the process of grabbing stuff and yeah. you know like I think yeah. I, I once went to this retrospective of um, our bud et al up at um, it was in um, Whanganui I think and like at the Gubbert Brewster and like there were these books and um, the artist had written on every single page of those books but they were bolted shut and you could feel the weight of that action inside them and I think that's what often happens with poetry and writing for me is that mm-hmm. I can feel the weight of all that stuff even mm-hmm. if none of that appears in there mm-hmm. you can feel the weight of it and I think that is such a good mm. that poem is such a good explanation of that oh, cool. that feeling you know what I mean like yeah. I don't know I, I feel that yeah I feel that so much I think um, I'm only reading this now so I wrote this ages ago. It feels like ages ago. And reading it now, it's like, whoa, that's still a very real, a very real thing. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it just seems really, yeah. really good. Also, I'm like a bit obsessed with space shuttle disasters. Yes, me too. We I, have so many of the same I know. I, I wonder, I don't know. Maybe that's why I like your writing so much. Oh I'm kind of like, oh, she's going to write about I, um, Yeah, my big thing about the space shuttle oh. is the Velcro, apparently. Oh, no, that was earlier. Apparently they had Velcro in some of the early spaceships and it just blew up because there's so much surface area on Velcro. You know, oh. like there's a hook and a thing. On, yeah. Do you know up at um, Space Place, as yeah, it's yeah, now yeah. called, they have a piece of the, um, what's it called? Uh... Not insulation, like 
or something like insulation, the outside bit of the space shuttle that that came off and like caused the disintegration of the Columbia. It's it's up there. I have to go and visit it. I think I think luckily I found that after I'd finished. (laughs) I was like, okay, I don't need to put (laughs) Yeah, but it's quite it's yeah. Oh my god, it's so good. Hey, I think I think we've had a good chat. Yeah. I think I think I think I should let you go. (laughs) I'm just so grateful to talking to you in this book and I'm so grateful for um this wonderful book that you've made. Mm. It's amazing to get to um spend some time with it. I feel it still feels unreal and um It's really nice. Will you be reading some of this at Lit Crawl? Yeah, or are you gonna I will. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a fun night. I will. It's going to be awesome. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks, I really appreciate Pat. it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks.